You're listening to WHTT Speaks Out. Each week, Chuck Carlson and members of We Hold These Truths look into events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events to get free and periodic updates to this program and our other interesting programs. Be sure to enter your email address in the subscribe to WHTT box on the right side of our website, whtt.org. And now, ready, set, let the sparks fly. In today's WHTT Speaks Out, we're going to talk about a bonanza weekend that we hold these truths. As we've talked about many times, uh, we have done now, I don't know how many vigils. It's well over 125, maybe approaching 150. But this past weekend, we had three significant activities, two vigils, and Chuck will describe an academic boycott that was mustered in Denver at a convention, and we'll talk about that. But um, we also today have with us uh, one of our veteran vigilers, Leslie Ford, who actually was on our first vigil in 2002, back in, I think it was October, November of 2002. And this was before we went to war against Iraq in 2003. So we've been doing this for almost 13 years now, and we're starting to see a change. Our video, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy in Turning, refers to the tragedy of what Christian Zionism is doing, and you should watch that film if you've not seen it. It's only 32 minutes long. The turning refers to the waking up, particularly in the evangelical churches, and we're seeing that from various and curious areas. It's quite remarkable. And one of our success stories is Craig Hansen, who is with us tonight to report on his vigil in San Francisco. And what's remarkable, Craig has done probably close to a dozen vigils now or more, but uh, he's even done vigils by himself. And they even have effect. And then we're going to jump to the West slope of Colorado, where a lone man, David Candidate, also had a vigil. It was his first time, so we want to talk about that. But first, welcome, Craig, and thanks again for stepping forward. And I think it's exciting that you were able to get some helpers from outside We Hold These Truths to join you at the event. Why don't you give us a little rundown what happened there, Craig? Okay, Tom, good to be with you again. I think it, has, it would have to uh, be the other way around. I was approached by um, a young lady who uh, was going to conduct a protest, what they called it, at the uh, Russian Gospel Temple in San Francisco, as Kofi was going to be attending. And this time it was going to be standing with Israel and just Randy Neal, their area director, was going to be speaking. And that's kind of the smallest venue uh, that Kofi gets involved in. And so I, I didn't think I was going to go. But when she called and asked if I'd be interested in, in supporting them, of course, uh, I, I had to go and jump on the bandwagon uh, with that. What surprised me this time, and I'm, I'm just going to give you a bunch, this is going to be a quick overview because we've got other, other things on the program this evening, but I'm just going to give you some of the first uh, that this uh, vigil provided that I hadn't seen before. And the, first of all, it was a Russian church. You know, we've been at a Chinese church, we've been at a Jewish synagogue, we've been uh, all these, you know, obviously, Christian evangelical churches, but this was the first time in front of uh, a Russian church. So that was that was a first for me. Second, 
it was initiated, the vigil protest with these other people, that's the word they would use. It was uh, code pink, the world can't wait, occupy San Francisco, and maybe there were some Sunday groups uh, with that too. It had a lot of interesting signs, a lot having to do with the carnage in Palestine, some of them pretty graphic. They thought our We Hold These Truth signs were really good. They, they enjoyed it. I was able to put about six or seven of those up. So that was kind of a first being joined with other groups like that. And interesting for me, this was the first time that everyone entering the church had to walk right past me. That's, uh, and Chuck has experienced that before. You had that in Arvada. But this is the first for me where the people entering, we get to, get to have eye contact, greet them, uh, say hello, uh, try to pass out some flyers. And the hard part was getting people to accept the flyers. What I had was uh, it, it's a picture of an Israeli flag, and it said, uh, does the Bible require followers of Jesus to support the Jewish state of Israel? And then a big no. And it says, think for yourself. Don't believe Kufi. Don't believe us. Do your own research. And then I describe what the Christian Zionists believe. I describe uh, what the Bible says and then present-day uh, circumstances just to try to get people to think on their own. I, I, Chuck, I've got that from you. And that's what we want. We don't want people just to blindly accept you know, what they read, whether it's from us or anybody else. We want them to study the Word of God and, and come to their own decisions on that. And I actually got to hand out more flyers since everyone was going by. I got to hand out more flyers than I have at other events. Also, what was interesting, this is the first time that I had four police officers on the corner ready to intervene. This is the first time we've I've seen the, the law enforcement involved, uh, I guess because uh, these other groups have um, a little bit of a notoriety for stirring up trouble. They were, they were there to protect everybody from everybody. And this is also another first. After the people coming into the church, one of the deacons came out, and everybody was in, uh, looked at us, and then proceeded to lock the doors so that we couldn't get into the church if we wanted to. And that was also a first for me. I've never been locked out of a Kufi event before. I went down to the policeman and asked them, you know, can they legally do that? This was a public meeting. They're a 501c3 organization. Can they lock us out of a public meeting? And he told me that since they decided it was a public meeting, they can also decide it's not a public meeting, and at any time they can close the doors and lock the doors and keep us out. So that was a new one for me. A deacon of the church came out and talked with me, really nice guy. I had a good conversation with him. And he opened the door, and he allowed me to go in. And one of the other protesters on the sidewalk, he went in too. And so when the deacon asked me, like, how is that guy? And I said, well, I don't know who he is. He's not with my group. We hold these truths. And he kind of opened his eyes real big and goes, oh, like like that. And then he proceeded to close the door, and, and we, we walked in, and the auditorium was upstairs. So by the time I got upstairs, there was about 30 minutes of music ahead of time and it was about 20, 25 minutes into that, and I noticed the uh, other gentleman that uh, was on the sidewalk with us was over on the right side by himself, and there was another gentleman in front of him. And also, I might mention, this is also the smallest Kufi gathering I've ever been a part of. There were literally only 25 people in this Russian congregation in the pews. There was the pastor and Randy Neal and a couple others of uh, the staff up front. There was a, a band of about five there was a soundboard and technicians and video guys, another, about another five. So all, all told, there's probably about, you know, less than 50 uh, people in the, in the church. And so that was definitely one of the smallest audiences this time. 
Randy got up to speak, and the typical you know, Kufi spiel, one thing he said this time, he talked more about Jesus, which is something that we haven't seen in Kufi gatherings. And I, I mentioned that to my wife, and she said, well, were there any rabbis in the group? And I go, well, no, there weren't. Well, he was speaking totally to a Christian audience, so he didn't hold back on the Jesus speak, which they usually do on the other Kufi gatherings. And that was an interesting thing. Randy made the comment, which I've heard before. He says he has some uh, rabbi friends, and he says uh, when Jesus comes back, one of us is going to have to change our theology. And I felt like saying, no, both of you need to change your theology now. <laughs> it's not a matter of waiting until uh, uh, Jesus comes back. Anyway, so as Randy was talking, a guy just stood up, and he started putting out all the atrocities that Israel is doing to the Palestinians and so forth, and two of the deacons ran right over to him, and they grabbed him, and the, the policeman had been called in, and so the policeman uh, take the guy downstairs and, and usher him out of the meeting. And I go, hmm, hadn't seen that before either. And so then about five minutes later, the other guy pops up, and he starts laying into Randy about Jesus caring for the poor and the suffering and so forth, which you know, in and of itself we would agree with, but definitely not in the methodology. And so he stands up, interrupts the meeting, and then he gets carted off by the police too. I never never found out what what happened to him after that, but they were escorted out of the meeting. So one of the things Randy brought up in the presentation was how great Israel's technology is. And he just he spent a long time talking about how they're, they're making the desert bloom and how when they first moved into the land, the only land that they could buy in Palestine was these desert badlands, wastelands. That's all the the Arabs would sell to the land that was worth nothing. And they and their ingenuity have turned this into hydroponic gardens and all this kind of stuff and so forth and so on, and how wonderful the Israeli technology is. And I, I couldn't help but think about, you know, all the other things that can be used for body parts for aborted babies. You can do all kinds of great things with these parts, supposedly, but the end doesn't justify the means. And just because Israel does good things, it doesn't justify what they did to the Palestinians. That's another issue. But basically, I, I actually learned some things with Randy's speech. He brought up a man who I'd never heard about before, a guy named Robert McGuire. He died in 2005, but he was an airline pilot, you know, dear to my heart, that was evacuating Yemeni Jews out of the land of Yemen back in 48. And so there's a great story about him and, and his escapades. I'd never heard that before. But anyway, it's it's same old thing. Oh, and what I wanted to say, too, is how Kufi got involved with this. One of the young gals who goes to that church is a UC Berkeley student, and she's involved with Kufi on campus. So that was the connection that she asked Kufi to be there. And this was more of, of a youth night, the youth band, and, and so forth. But even at that, they could only pull in 25 people. So there's more to the story, that uh, examples, but I know we got a lot on the plate tonight. So anybody has any questions, I'd be glad to answer them. Um, yes, sir. I have a quick question. Were you able to determine if this Russian church is a mainline or orthodox Russian church, or is it is it an evangelical church that would be receptive to the imminent return and rapture rites and all of the sort of thing that Kufi actually thrives upon? Right, the latter, Chuck. It's affiliated with the Assembly of God uh, denomination, the church itself has an incredible history. They fled the uh, Jewish Bolshevik Communist Revolution as a people group back in the early, what, the 
1916, whatever that was, in that area, they fled to uh, China, and again, being more of the Assembly of God denomination, they felt that they heard the word of the Lord telling them to get out of uh, Russia at that time. As a group, they fled. And hearing their story, to me, it's not much unlike Matthew 24, where, where Jesus says, when you see the armies surrounding the city, you know, get, get out of Dodge, you know, kind of thing in Matthew 24. And that's what they did. They fled Russia, went to China, and then in China, they were there until China became communist, and it's kind of the same word again, it's time to move on. They went to South America and then migrated from South America up into the, the Bay Area, and the congregation actually was established in, in San Francisco in 1951. So the people have a long history of escaping persecution, and that's what surprised me the most, is that here they are with the Zionist message persecuting the Palestinians, and it was just a real oxymoron for me how you could be both sides of this. You've been the persecuted, and now you're supporting the persecutor. You know, it didn't really uh, make sense to me. And I got to express that to the deacon. I wonder if they could have just been taken in by the student members of the church. Yep, we've seen that over and over again, Chuck, with Kufi on campus, because they realize they're losing the younger generation. The younger generation is realizing that these attacks against Palestinians, the slaughter, that, like we, the one you put up about the, the girl being shot at the checkpoint, it was, it was totally, there was no provocation. She just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And the young people are saying, no, this is wrong. And one of the interesting things is I was loading my signs back into the truck, and I, I got to park right in front of the church. One guy was helping me, and uh, I said, it really bothers me that this killing is going on in the name of Jesus. And he said to me, it doesn't matter whose name it's being done in. Because he was with Occupy San Francisco or some other group. And I thought that was really good. The people recognize that killing innocents is wrong. Whether you have a Christian label on you or not, they recognize that. And so in that way, I was able to be in solidarity with these people who recognize that killing innocents is wrong. You had 10, was it, people that joined you? Yeah, right. There were 10 on the streets with, like I said, from these different organizations. I was kind of a buffer, if if you will. I was from the, the leftist out there and down with the government, that whole, that whole mentality of uh, that protesters, I was able to kind of be a buffer between that and the the church and bringing in the, the Christian influence, why Christians shouldn't accept the he is, is presenting. And uh, to me it was accepted. And I had another gentleman who has been attending the church for years and years and years. He talked to me on the, on the street and he said, you know, thank you very much. I appreciate how you conducted yourself and the dialogue that we could have without raising our voices, without going crazy, you know, it just, just this is what the Bible says. But look at this. That how would Jesus handle this? You know, what does Jesus say about this? Here's the scriptures. Look at this. The interesting thing for me, too, is that passing out the flyers, so many people, uh, even the 25, I, I probably passed out maybe 30 of the flyers, but there were still several people who, who didn't take them. I gave a couple to one person and so forth. But people would not take them. It's like this flyer isn't going to bite you. It's not going to destroy your day. You know, uh, it's, look at this. And they, they refuse to even engage. That always surprises me. Did you have advance notice that you were coming? Or? Yeah, I sent out uh, an email to the pastor of the staff two ways, one by a regular email and two on their web page. So they knew 
we all these truths were coming. I mentioned that I had been contacted and maybe others with us, but until I got there, I really didn't know who was going to be there. And the meeting started at 7. I pulled up around 5.30, and they were already there in place at 5.30. So the rest of the group was surprised at how few people showed up. Since we know what Kufi on campus is all about, it made perfect sense. I have one more question, or maybe it's a comment. Here uh, recently, we've done a number of, of events around Denver area that have been sponsored by other people, and have had a lot of the other organizations there. And uh, we've had a surprising interest in the messages on our signs. We've had yeah. people from Occupy uh, Colorado, uh, who are generally thought of as raiding uh, atheists and all kinds of different things people would say about them, and they almost unanimously wanted to hold our signs and uh, talked yeah. about the one, one woman said, these, these people's signs are just awesome. They yeah. think they're so effective. Uh, and we have so these simple messages about Palestine on the cross and who would Jesus bought mm-hmm. and so on. Uh, did the other uh, organizations uh, want to hold your signs? Yes, exactly. And that, that is, again, an, another first because uh, there was only one of me, but I had all my signs. And I, the sign I was holding was Jesus is not a Zionist sign. And a couple of people, since there weren't that many people going into the church, they decided to take our signs and stand out between the cars on 17th Street in San Francisco. And as the cars were coming by, they were holding up, uh, blessed are the peacemakers, uh, no more wars for Israel, those signs out there for the traffic to see as people went by. So, yes, exactly, Chuck. They took the signs and they, they were really appreciative of the message and recognize that all Christians don't want to go kill a bunch of people. How did the deacon respond to your talking to him? He's very receptive. I gave him our flyer. I also gave him a 20-page a little well, it's a PDF file that I, I, that I printed out of Stephen Sizer yeah, on, the, on the theology of the land. It's more of an encapsulation of what uh, Rob Dalrymple's book is something that someone can read in about uh, 20 minutes. And he took that, and also the other gentleman uh, took that as well. So I, I don't think I, I got anywhere with the pastors. I, I did, um, the app when, as soon as I got home on um, Friday night, I sent an email off to the pastor and I, I, to, to let him know that the two gentlemen that got up and interrupted the meeting were not associated with We Hold These Truths. And I encouraged the pastor to look at the flyer that I had, look at the scriptures, and examine it for himself go to our website again and, and get more information. But I wanted to let him know with no uncertain terms that the, the gentleman that interrupted the meeting and behaved inappropriately were not part of us. Thank you so much, Craig. That was an excellent report. And not only did you dialogue with the church members, but you actually did some education on the, uh, the people that joined you there. And uh, maybe they uh, see the importance of what we are doing that support for these wars comes from millions and millions of misguided evangelical Christians. And now we'd like to talk about another vigil held in Montrose, Colorado. It's not a very large town. I would guess it's less than 20,000. It's near Grand Junction, which is not a huge town either. But there's a uh, Praise Him Ministries that was started by Victoria Hurst, who is one of the Hearst family, heiress, and she took her fortune and invested in this ministry, and there's a bookstore there. 
and she is decidedly pro-Israel. And this event was a night for Israel. It was their own event, but they have some loose affiliation with Christians united for Israel. But the interesting thing, David Kennedy, uh, who lives in Montrose, actually contacted us, and I'll have Chuck talk a little bit about that, and said that he wanted to do a vigil. Now, we weren't able to get anybody over to Montrose, so he went in by himself. He did not have any signs. We couldn't get the sign, any signs over to him. But it was an ideal location. It was in a public uh, pavilion there in Montrose where they held this. And he was able to uh, stand in the public right away and pass out flyers. He said he passed out almost to everybody there. It was, it sounds like less than 200 people. So it was not a very big crowd, although it had been promoted in the newspaper and so forth. It was a free event. And he had sent letters to Victoria Hearst. We'll have links to that. We'll have a link to Craig's pamphlet that he handed out and the two pamphlets that uh, David Kennedy handed out to, to give you an idea. And uh, he did have some interaction with the security guards there at the event, and they were actually using metal wands to, to inspect them as they went in to the event. And so it was a tightly uh, controlled. They only had one door into the event that they could come into. But it was ideal for him to uh, pass out literature he did see that some of the um, staff there for the event were taking flyers away from people, so not wanting them to see what the opposition was about. But his assessment was that it was eye-opening, particularly for the people that were holding an event, that they were challenged. And to the people coming, it was an older crowd, he said. It was mostly white Americans. He only saw one Hispanic family, although they do have a really large uh, Hispanic population in Montrose. And so our hats off to David for doing this. This is not an easy thing to do, but he saw the need for this. And I think we need to continue challenging these kinds of events, whether it's Kufi or other Christians calling for support for Israel. They need to be challenged. And Craig has done a good job based on a biblical text, and, and you can see our handout there. We basically uh, give Bible verses and some other information for them. And again, the whole point is we want people to think on their own rather than just accept what they're told. And so our goal is to challenge people. Chuck, why don't you add a few more comments about uh, David Kennedy, please? Well, a few more things I could add. Mrs. Hurst actually rented the biggest convention hall in the Western Slope. It probably holds 2,500 people or something like that. And uh, that's at a place where the average size of the church is probably 200 or 300 people per church on the big churches. So this organization is a cult. Uh, they mix Christianity in with a love of Israel, but we really don't know what else exactly. And uh, they operate uh, on events. They always pull in events. What they did at this uh, event in Montrose, Colorado, is they brought in a Broadway musical star who had sung a lead in a, a well-known musical, a super well-known musical, La Maserabe. 
And uh, he was there as the, the flypaper, the bait, to bring in the crowd. Well, of course, they separated themselves a little bit from Christians United for Israel. They really were no different, except for bringing in a Broadway star. They used, for instance, a man named David Wiley, who is a renowned Zionist and is uh, a virulent, hate-filled Zionist of the First Order. So theologically, where this organization, Praise Him Ministries, stands, we can only guess. What uh, David told me uh, as a result of several conversations is that he was really surprised. Now, his vigil started after dark, so signs would not have helped him. But the police did, in, in advance, tell us that even though the, the hall was rented, that we could utilize the parking lot. You may stand in the public ground in the parking lot. Because this organization went through a elaborate security efforts of frisking people, looking in bags, and they even had a magnetic wand. They wanded people, like as in the airport, as they came through, one by one. So they actually obstructed the entrance. It was 27 degrees outside. David stood out there shivering, but he was able to hand literature out to everyone uh, without exception until the organization began to denounce him as a heretic or something and uh, warned people that they must not take the literature and started taking the literature away from people. This has been standard procedure that we've run into time and time again in these meetings where people are warned about our coming. It seems the more friendly we are in advance to the leadership, the more uh, nervous they become about our presence to the point where they start doing things that make themselves look really foolish. And David quickly, being a very bright guy, he very quickly responded to this and started telling people, they're trying to interfere with your right of free speech. They're taking these away from you inside the door. Better put it in your pocket if you don't want them to take away from you. And he had people tell him, some people wouldn't take them when they found out that he was adversarial, but others uh, wanted to take the flyer because we found that if you uh, ask people if they don't really believe in thinking for themselves, they deep down in, inside want to think for themselves, even if they haven't done so in a long time. So he had great success in getting literature into the hall. Later on, uh, they adopted other tactics. They came out with a police dog, not a police dog, but a, he said a giant black dog in his face and intimidated him and tried to frighten him off. Then they tried to frighten him off by threatening him with police action. And he didn't go for that because he'd been briefed in advance. So what's happened is these occult-like Christian organizations have become Israel cults rather than Jesus cults. And so they act like it. And they think they can do strange things and get away with it. So progress is being made. David Kennedy was enthused when it was over. Of course, we happen to have a very strong guy who could stand up to this by himself, like Craig, uh, who spoke a little while ago. And not everybody can do that the first time, but uh, he certainly did have baptism under fire there in, in, in Little Montrose, Colorado. And he's very anxious now to look up which are the dispensational Zionist-centered churches in the area. And he's very anxious to help start making an effort toward those churches. How did David come to find we hold these truths? Did you know him before? Well, that's a very good question. And again, this is the notion of interaction with other groups. And Craig's, Craig's action with other groups is very important. 
candidate came to us through a group that I uh, associate with and, and exchange issues with and work for them, and they've helped us. And it's called the Colorado for Justice in Palestine. David was a member of the chapter of here in Denver, and he happened to move to uh, Montrose, Colorado in his work, and he uh, maintained the contact and heard about us through this other group. So again, it's the idea of uh, staying friendly with these other groups and uh, cooperating. And of course, it takes work. You have to uh, trade a little work with them because when they have a project, they like to have you help too. But we found out that Colorado's for Justice in Palestine just love that we hold these truth signs, and uh, they like to use them, and they like to come to our vigils. Great. We've run out of time, ladies and gentlemen, and we're not going to be able to talk about the third important item that we mentioned early on. But please stay tuned for our next podcast about the passing of a academic boycott by the American Anthropological Association at the recent convention in Denver, Colorado. It's quite a fascinating story, and Chuck Carlson with WHTT had a significant role in helping that get passed, working with the Coloradans for justice in Palestine. Thanks for listening. If you like this program, please let your friends know about it and our other thought-provoking podcast. And be sure to visit our website, whtt.org, for a wealth of information on Christian Zionism and other critical issues that we face. Also, at whtt.org, you can watch for free our award-winning documentary film, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Join us in our efforts to wake the town and tell the people. Start small, think big, and press on towards the straight gate.